Radical Secular, a podcast dedicated to the separation of church and state and the pursuit of justice. Email us at theradicalsecular at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at radical underscore secular. Follow us on Twitter at radical secular. For full video episodes, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hello and welcome back to The Radical Secular. I'm Christoph Defoe. I'm Sean Prophet. Today, we're going to delve into the highly controversial topic of biology, race, and IQ. But first, we'll discuss the Trump GOP sore loser club (laughs) (laughs) and most recent developments in the Trump 19 disaster saga clusterfuck. And we'll update you on what's going on in Nigeria. But before we get into any of that, I want to remind you to make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to hit that big red subscribe button, smash the shit out of it. And be sure to give us a five-star rating on your podcast host and write us a review over at Apple. That's huge because positive uh, podcast reviews at Apple help us grow in their recommendations list faster than almost anything else. Also, be sure to tell your friends and family about the show. Word of mouth definitely matters. Okay, now for the fun stuff. Let's get into the t-shirts. Sean, what about you? What do you got? I have the squad today. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Elon Omar of Minnesota, Anaya Presley of Massachusetts, and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. Very, very cool, dude. Very, very cool. We love them. They are the best. And look, they're challenging um, orthodoxy. And you always just have to have that energy, right? Because as we talk about on the show all the time, when power gets entrenched, when people get sort of in their position, they don't want to give it up and and new ideas go out the window and old orthodoxies become sort of sort of, uh, you know, uh, sort of really entrenched. And so it's really important to have these kind of voices. Um, first of all, just that fresh, young, um, sort of passionate voice, but also a voice that's like super, super, uh, like really into justice, really into Green New Deal, all this sort of stuff. Super important. Yeah. And, you know, they all won re-election. So, you know, we we thought initially some people probably thought they were a flash in the pan, but Mm -hmm. they're here to stay. And I think it's important that they push the Democratic Party to the left. I think there's a little bit of a danger in some cases where people get a little carried away with it and they try to uh, because these women are so passionate and they and they are so, I mean, they're exactly what we need. I mean, I would vote for uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for president. I mean, mm-hmm. they know exactly what we need for the nation's future. But unfortunately, we have a system that makes it impossible for us to get a lot of what they're proposing uh, in any kind of time frame that, you know, uh, it's just... There's so much that has to happen before we could go full bore towards that type of a of of a, an agenda. That's exactly right. And and you and I were talking a little bit about this early on to earlier today and it's so important, right? Uh, I think um, Nancy Pelosi, I think she's just a great example of this, right? Because in 18, when uh, the Democrats took back Congress, there was this huge push to be like, get no, no, no Nancy Pelosi, right? None of that old guard. These people came in on a wave of leftism and we need to sort of uh, sort of harness that, right? And, and that does sound like a good argument, except for um, 
It's not right because it, and and it's not because look, we didn't, we wouldn't, we would be in a world of shit right now if Nancy Pelosi hadn't been running the Democratic Party for the last four years, right? She has the know-how, the expertise, the relationships, the clout to actually be able to navigate a party through being in the minority with no cards to play. Having a, that fresh energy, like you're saying, is great, but. It's not enough to wash over the walls of conservative um, of conservative intractability that we yeah. have to that we have to get up get past to, to get any of this done. It's kind of like if you go to a restaurant or you go to watch a play or you go to Disneyland or anywhere where there's a huge operation going on behind the scenes. Most people are not aware of mm. what goes into making law. And if they were, they would probably be horrified because it takes veteran. <laughs> It takes veteran insiders to get things done. And uh, there's a lot of compromise and horse trading that goes on. And that's based on relationships. Exactly. You could get me going on a whole tear about term limits and how we we don't we don't want a bunch of fresh, fresh people in because you have to build coalitions and it takes multiple terms to do that. And so anyway, That, that is so important. And, you know, when the presidents come and go, but uh, like high-ranking House officials and high-ranking Senate officials, they are always there, right? They are there developing relationships, maintaining relationships, and and more. And this is something that liberals don't understand, and I think that a lot of folks don't understand. They're accumulating power, power, mm-hmm. right? People do not understand how power works, and this like politics is a war. Right. It is mm-hmm. purely about who has leverage and who doesn't have have leverage. Right. And you get leverage yeah. through co- making coalitions. You make coalitions by having relationships. You have relationships by being actually having been there for more than two years. You know? Yeah. And even the way things used to work, bipartisanship, some of the sometimes those coalitions extend across the aisle. Exactly. Not so much anymore. But right. it's how else? How are you going to do that if you just have a bunch of new people who don't know how to work with others? Exactly. And who are, you know fiery, which is great. I, I just, just before we move on to my t-shirt, I just want to like sort of tack on the Bernie Sanders element here, right? Mm-hmm. Because their whole argument is that, no, we need to go more to the left, right? We need to, if we go more to the left, uh-huh. we'll engage young people and da, 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 da. And there'll be some sort of wave that'll wash over the intransient, the, the, the intransigent, like um, the entrenched interest. And that is yeah. just not going to happen. And Bernie Sanders campaign was to like the quintessential example of that. Like they yeah. had everything they wanted. They had the momentum. They had the money. They had everything. And guess what? America didn't go for it. And so we have to be realistic. Would I love yeah. a Green New Deal? Would I love it? Of course I would. But we have to, we'll have to fight for every inch. We have to fight for every inch to get anywhere close to that. You got to get the Senate. And if you don't have the Senate and the White House, you don't have a Green New Deal. So exactly. And, and that's the bottom line. A lot of a lot of these guys, they'll say things like, well, the earth doesn't have time to wait for right, this institutional politics. They say this crap like, well, so what do you want to do? Snap your fingers? I mean, <laughs> right, exactly. wave your magic wand and make it happen. Right, right. It's, and, it's and, insane. And that's the problem with the Bernie, the whole Bernie approach, which again, I'm very sympathetic to Bernie Sanders and I like him. So actually. am I. I voted you for know? him in the primary. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I would have happily voted in for, for, for president, happily mm-hmm. would have voted in for a president. But the fact is that that is not the face of America. And it, in like, it, it, there's just not enough of us. There's not, and we can get there hopefully one day. But right now, today, we are not there and we have to recognize where we actually are and fight 
on those terms, which is something Democrats are like famously not willing to do to get into the fucking trenches. Right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I I know that Nancy Pelosi is nearing the end and I hope she has Mm -hmm. somebody selected who who can bring those institutional relationships forward. And maybe it is one of the squad if they can do it in the next two years, if they can if they can apprentice. But, you know, they have to, first of all, recognize her for what who and what she is and what Mm -hmm. she offers. And she offers the best opportunity to get these progressive things done. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and uh, and to segue into my T-shirt, even though it's a long T-shirt segment, but hey, it's a good discussion. Yeah. Um, uh, and and I think what what is important here in terms of my T-shirt that that sort of connects our two T-shirts and uh, our discussions about them is is thinking, right? And I'll, I'll show you my T-shirt now. It is the godfish, except it says science in the, in the center of it. And we've seen them on the back of all sorts of people's cars with, with Jesus and the I-H-O-X-I or whatever that is, the fish, right. <laughs> the, the fish in Greek or whatever it is. But this one says science, and I think it's obvious why that's great. <laughs> that's obvious. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I'm wearing it. Though. This is a retread. I've worn it in a past episode, but uh, it's, I thought it was really uh, salient today uh, and to connect it to what you're talking about. Uh, science really is at bottom about good thinking, right? It's about, it's about, it's about thinking about things rationally and, and, um, and building a, a sort of building arguments, building a worldview, right? Building a, a society around being able to think clearly and reason well, right? And that is something that is, uh, in a lot of ways, definitely woefully lacking on the right, but also on the left, on the on the left, right? This idea of like, no, you have to set aside your uh, your sort of big ideas sometimes and just get practical, very, very practical. Um, and anyway, so, and today, of course, we're going to be talking about race and we're going to be talking about science and we're going to talk about how science is, has been historically misused, um, to justify discrimination. So, um, science seemed to me to be the shirt to wear today. Um, yeah, go ahead, comment on that. Definitely. I mean, science is such a powerful tool that when it's abused, it's extremely damaging. And that's mm-hmm. that's what we have to understand. What people who often people who are into various aspects of pseudoscience or even religion will try to bastardize science to support their unscientific viewpoints. And the thing that we're talking about today, which is that the sort of eugenicist uh, race science garbage is is very much in that category. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we and I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation. And um, what we're going to do now is the news. And there is so much news, Sean. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, like, uh, boy, the sore loser club, man. Um, you know, there was the MAGA march, which was the sore loser march. Right. Um, we got a president who has been in his bunker. You remember they spent the entire campaign uh, making fun of Biden for staying, quote, staying at his bunker, which he mm-hmm. didn't, but staying at his bunker during the entire campaign. And this man has not even been able to show his face 
um, out out in public since he lost. And then speaking of faces, the uh, some makeup dripped down the face of a uh, famous oh. ghoul um, <laughs> who has subsequently gotten COVID-19 um, <laughs> and is just out there making a goddamn fool of himself um, and and just embarrassing lawyers. Uh, look, everyone hates us anyway. Um, Giuliani does not make it any fucking better. Giuliani is, I, I don't think, I, I'm trying to rack my brain to think of an American who has fallen so far from being America's mayor in New York, really did a good job pulling that city together and handling mm -hmm. the aftermath of 9-11. Nobody could deny that. And now he has turned into not just a, a ghoul or a creep, but a fascist. Yeah. A fascist ghoul creep clown, just it, it, absurd. I mean, the the image. I, I know that <laughs> I know we can't make a fun of people's appearances, but his, <laughs> you know, that's pre that was pretty epic in a in not epic. in a good way. Not no, in a good way. not in a good way. Um, not in a good way. And, and uh, you know, the legal strategy has fallen on its face right so you know and and they have been i think they are now they went last time we talked it was they were 0 for 12. now i think there's something like oh for 29 i think they are in, in in court yeah um and they are running out of those kinds of arguments and so what they're doing instead now is just straight up mob type shit, right like president a, trump is calling people and forcing them it's a series of fallback positions that they have mm -hmm. engaged in. And it started out really, I, and you could see this all coming on the night of the election when he got up there at two o'clock in the morning and whined about the fact that, oh, we were ahead and now we're not ahead anymore. And it, it's just, he committed himself early on to fighting the results of the election. And he had done this previously in the campaign. And even in 2016, he basically said that he would only respect the result if he won. So from the beginning of Trump's entry into politics, he has not abided by any democratic norms. And this is just uh, this is a further escalation of what happens when someone who is not committed to our form of government gets in power. And the, yeah. the, the most chilling thing was what Chris Krebs said. And Chris Krebs is the head of the U.S. cybersecurity, and he was the one who was just fired for mm. having said that we had a safe and fair and secure election. And that did not sit well with Trump. So Trump fired him. And Krebs was awesome because he said after he got fired, we did it right and I'd do it again. So it was yeah. an awesome, he's a, that guy's a patriot. But what mm -hmm. his reaction to the Giuliani news conference was that it was the most dangerous hour and 45 minutes of American television in our history. And wow. I don't disagree with that because you got to remember that we look at this as something absurd, but you've got all the people who voted for Trump. Now, not all of them are falling for this garbage. A lot of sure. them know it's garbage, but a substantial portion of those people are taking this very seriously and it is undermining their confidence in the US electoral process that was by all observations, the most solid uh, expression of that process that we've ever had. That's absolutely right, man. I, and, and, you know, I we were talking earlier and you said and it's true that there is uh, this is a there is a non zero chance that um, that Joe Biden doesn't act doesn't get sworn in 
on uh, on inauguration day, right? There's a non-zero right. chance, and that's and that's true. And that is that is the fact that you and I are having this discussion, Sean. Uh, mm-hmm. it, like, can you imagine if you and I are going to have a conversation in which we're going to be defi- discussing whether or not there's going to be a peaceful transfer of power? Like, that's yeah. the conversation. Like in the '90s, I never. I, I always go back to the '90s because I always think back to the, this sort of. Like I always said, the, the that pastel time of post mm-hmm. of post uh, Soviet Union, you know, United Nation, you know, yep. America, America, bliss. Everything did seem okay mm-hmm. for me growing up. I was a kid, but still, everything like the, that that big world out there. The idea they, that never really touched me in the suburbs. Now, we are literally having discussions about whether or not um, democracy is going to continue. Well, this is it. And everybody can come down on one side or the other and say, oh, he's it's going to be fine. He's going to get in. Or other people can say, no, th- it's going to succeed. But whatever the outcome ultimately is, the fact that it's uncertain in the United States of America is is utterly insane. Like last our last episode was America Goes Cuckoo. And it was mm-hmm. a little bit of a joke because at mm-hmm. that time it was it was, you know, the election had just been called. And so it was like, OK, it's over. Well, it's not over, and their their procedural manipulations they they've lost in court. Now they're going to the legislatures. It seems like the legislatures are not being persuaded, but who knows? We don't yeah. know what these guys yeah. are going to do. Yeah. And it's, we've it's, taken it's something. True. It's supposed to be procedural. It's supposed to be just a pro forma rubber stamp. They take the votes. They count the votes, and they select the electors. The electors go and they vote, and nobody changes their mind. And this is what has worked every four years in our country since I think it was 18, was it 1876 that the last contested election happened? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure actually, but that's a long time ago. <laughs> it was it was something like, it was the late 1800s and gotcha. it was uh, the election of Rutherford B. Hayes. Ah, okay. And okay. Rutherford B. Hayes was, he, he was the winner, but the other guy wouldn't concede. I forget the name of the guy's name. Uh, he wouldn't concede. And they came to some sort of accommodation that ended up with the stopping of reconstruction. And that's huge because that what huge. it meant is that all of the sacrifice, everything Abraham Lincoln did, everything mm-hmm. that all the 600,000 people who died in the Civil War, all that sacrifice was now uh, curtailed. And yeah. And it didn't have the impact that it should have had, had we continued with reconstruction and brought, I mean, we are currently dealing, this is the aftermath of that. That is, I, I couldn't agree more with that because, and I, and I, one thing that's so true about Americans um, is a lack of ability to connect history to the present. And that's deliberate, right? That's deliberate, right? Because America has never had to reckon with its racist past in the way that say Germany has, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and Japan has, right? These countries that were decimated during two world wars have had to sort of start to come to terms with their awful, some of their awful, and look, there are still many things, for example, the, uh, the Japanese uh, still don't uh, recognize a, a massacre of uh, a gigantic massacre of Chinese people, right? Uh, and so mm-hmm. this is, and so I don't know, I don't know the details of that. So anyone who is Chinese or Japanese listening to this of of that descent, I don't want to uh, to birch butcher that. Um, no pun intended. But um, you see, my point is that like <laughs> that's fucked up, right? <laughs> that was. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, you, everyone sees my point, right? The yeah. point is that, like, right, some things are not, or the Armenian genocide, right? There's another, right. There's, another there's another great, great example of things that are just like people just don't take 
ownership of those, but but nothing like the United States. That com- there's a war going on right now involving yeah, literally Armenia. right now, right, right now, right, as we speak, as we speak, yeah. right. And it's like a it's like a, a haunting re uh, sort of uh, repeat, haunting repeat of of the Armenian of that era, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so my point is that Americans were unable to sort of connect because of because we have a culture of 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 not we literally still have the rebels have statues in our in our in our cities like this is a country that is not come to terms with what no. that was right and so as a result uh the as like you say because we haven't sort of actually put really even closed the wound fully Right. We continue to live with the consequences of the failure to nip this in the bud in the late 1800s. Yeah. And what we're going to be talking about today are some of the ideas that Mm -hmm. had been really discredited. And around the time of the Civil Rights Act and things like that, it seemed like all of that was receding. And now Mm -hmm. with with what's going on with Trump, suddenly it's all coming back out of the woodwork coming back, man. And the academics, the academics who who were pushing that stuff, suddenly they're popular again. Exactly. They're back. And like, right. It's like that. Yeah, it's scary. It's terrifying. Right. And and going back to the to the crybaby march. Right. And Mm -hmm. by the way, I want to distinguish that from the pussy hat march. Right. Because the the pussy hat march. Right. Because people try to make these like these like sort of specious sort of connections and like, look. The pussy, come on, man. The first of all, the pussy heart, the pussy, the the, the pussy hat march was not uh, saying that Trump hadn't won, right? It was, a, it was, it was in fact a recognition that Trump had won, and that right. was awful, and it was a demonstration. What we're seeing in the sore loser march was, oh no, Trump hasn't lost, right? That's right. two very, very different things. No, it is, and and also the pussy hat march really was about a million people. Right. And this is supposed that's to be the big thing too. Yeah. Million mega <laughs> march. It's like there was like ten thousand people there, yeah. maybe twenty at the outside. Exactly at the outside. Exactly. exactly. Come on. Come what on. What a false false equivalence. I mean, it's, it's maddening. Absolutely maddening. <laughs> uh, but uh, so yeah. So look, I mean. Trump is trying to, uh, you know, just to close the loop on that, right? Uh, Trump is trying to pressure pressure legislatures, right, to basically pick to pick electors that are that are going to be willing to be faithless, right? Like that is sort of, and and in the meantime, trying to slow down certification in counties and states so that he can make that happen. And and um, you know, the the good news is that it, like you said, Sean, it is a, a ministerial duty to to literally just certify the election, and if uh, if they if people won't do it, a court will do it, right? Um, but the bigger question becomes, like you say, the um, sort of pressuring legislatures to to, yeah. pick, to pick electors, and that's not that is very unlikely, frankly. But it but it could happen. But it could happen. It was something we and like you say, and this is the most important thing that you said, and I want to just piggyback on it. The bigger story here is the erosion of. The, of, of democratic principles, where we, there is fifty percent of Republicans, and I read this uh, this statistic just recently on Friday, maybe um, the fifty uh, percent or, or so of Republicans believe that that Biden uh, won in some sort of disingenuous way, right? Mm-hmm. That he didn't win fair and square. So that is fifty percent of that electorate, right? That is a lot. Mil- millions and millions and millions of Americans just don't believe in our system of government. That's 35 million people. I mean, that's right insane. There. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. 
but you got to remember, okay. I mean, it, it bothers the hell out of me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because these people are so disingenuous and dishonest with themselves. Yeah. Yep. But remember how many people believe that nine 11 was an inside job. So true. Remember how many people believe that the sun goes around the earth. I mean, it's like, it's like a quarter of the population believes still believes that the sun goes around the earth. Mm -hmm. You got mm -hmm. the flat earthers, you got mm -hmm. anti-vax people. So we have a QAnon. we have a huge QAnon. We have a huge problem in this country of people who just refuse to accept reality. And that's something that our enemies are taking advantage of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That's that's really that's a great point. And even more so, and I'll go a little even deeper to our to our or uh, about in terms of our radical secular perspective, right? People also believe that like are are, are just superstitious, right? People mm -hmm. do the same thing over and over again, and like you know, it's a natural human instinct, right? Or people don't want to walk uh walk have a, a black cat cross their path or walk under a ladder. Like so, what I'm saying is that that kind of thinking is not just at the level of like, right, oh, QAnon people, oh, they're batshit crazy. Of course they are, and, and that's 50%. But a much larger percent of the population is willing to just accept things without any real evidence, right? And that gets right. back to my poor thinking ability, right? That is that is pervasive among Americans, uh, pervasive. If you don't have a sound basis for what you believe, then you can basically be convinced into believing anything. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you if if, I think that a lot of the reason why our nation held together so much better in the past is because there were informational gatekeepers. And so mm -hmm. there wasn't all this crazy shit flying around everywhere. So I don't think people were smarter back then. I think it was just that everybody was reading the same newspaper. Everybody yep. was watching yep. the same TV channels. And so yep. this, this shit just didn't get off the ground. It was Xerox chain letters. It was, um, you know, people, I don't know, before the internet, I don't know what they did. I think they, they just copied copied chain letters and sent this stuff around or secure yeah. public publications that were like stapled together and, and you know sure. put, put in the mail but but actual <laughs> books and magazines didn't have this shit that's right so. yeah yeah and that that's so important and and the the right uh, there was cable tv and yep. there was the radio Right. Like, yep. so that's where you got those terrible messages. But now you don't, like you say, even they, like Rush Limbaugh um, was a, was a, is a gatekeeper. I'm laughing because <laughs> Drew, you know, our, our friend Drew on Facebook, Eddie, yeah. Eddie, put that, that, I, I don't even know if I feel comfortable saying it. I mean, because it's so funny. It's so fucked up, but I, maybe I'm just going to say it. So he's like, I, and I think the joke is, does, if, does Rush Limbaugh now uh, hate his lungs because they've turned black? <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> he deserves that. He is such a white supremacist he's, motherfucker. He's, 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 an, he's an evil man. He's an he evil, evil man. And so that's the only reason why I can feel comfortable to laughing at that joke or even saying it like it, because <laughs> it's so fucked up. But Drew, you know, Drew, and he, he always does that. He pulls no fucking punches like that online. Like always, always. He does. I love Drew. Big shout out to Drew, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're we're going to tag Drew, I think, in the show notes. So we are <laughs> uh, on, on, when we post it on Facebook so that he knows yeah. he got uh, you got that was. I could always go for him. I really want the sharpest of the sharpest wit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, um, yes, you know I, yes, I just yes, want to yes. say one more quick thing go about about this process, and that is this process was designed at a time when everything was carried by Pony Express. Mm -hmm. There is utterly just like there's no reason to have an electoral college at this point. There's also no reason to have this 
crazy certification process. There's yeah. no reason for electors to have to vote separately. It's like, count the votes. That's the president. Done. <laughs> this is, <laughs> yeah, you know, so this is Pony Express shit. That's such a great point. And this also speaks to a larger issue, I think, we, that we, you know, the idea of um, the Constitution as a living document, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 really, the question of whether or not it just deserves a rewrite, which I know is a, which, I, which I know something you've talked about before, um, oh, and it's a, it's obviously a very it's a radical concept, obviously, because right, we we put the Constitution on a pedestal. I'm you know, especially as an attorney, right? You know, my entire law school career, like you speak, you spend the first year or two of law, the first year of law school, at least like really just in the constitution. Right. And specifically, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, other, other laws, when you get to your second and third year, you start to, you start looking um, at sort of um, other courses that are more specific to various areas of the law. So you take corporations or you take a labor employment class, or you take a property class. But in the first instance, you are really just delving into the constitution. And we swear an oath to it essentially. Right. The, right. Mm -hmm. it, it, and the military, right? Recently, even this week, I think one of the generals, a brave general, a patriot, came out and said, and, and maybe it was this week or last week, but came out and basically said, no, we don't serve the president, any particular president. We serve the Constitution ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, so my point is that it ha it's on hallowed ground. So even talking about seriously revising it um, is let alone, uh, or you know, even just talking about interpreting it uh, liberally, is mm -hmm. is is bad enough? Let alone talking about a, a serious rewrite. But I think it's an, I think it needs one. Well, there, there, there's two things that can be true at the same time. Okay, one is is that I am super glad that we are protected by the Constitution. Definitely, I am super glad that the military is in their culture, deeply in their culture, bound to the Constitution. Mm -hmm. I am super glad that most lawyers and judges are feel like they're deeply bound to the Constitution. What has happened to us, though, is that we have got we have we have these hacks ever since the Federalist Society got going and started pushing this originalism and started pushing their property over people doctrines and their whole libertarian thing and their religious, uh, which they deny, by the way, they don't they don't admit to being theocrats, but they are. Oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, so you get that going and suddenly the system of constitutional checks and balances that that really existed up until recently is no longer guaranteed. And the kind of backroom deal making that these guys are engaging in and the twisted logic of the originalism, which you talk about all the time as mm -hmm. being the most activist of judicial activism. These guys came in on the uh, uh, with their main justification, their main reason for being to combat judicial activism. And what they did is they just flipped it around. Oh, yeah, they're... definitely. So, so that, that, that is all true. Okay. The constitution, we can have respect for it while also understanding that it is holding us back as a nation more than anything else. Yep. Yep. Those two things can be true at the same time. And that's exactly right. The electoral college can be a terrible idea. And also the, uh, you know, whatever the, uh, the 14th amendment can be an excellent idea, right? Those two things can be right. The, the, do the, the, uh, free exercise clause or the, or more than anything else, the, um, the, uh, it's, it, it's corollary, right? Like those mm -hmm. concepts can be critical and important. And also there are some really fucking bad ideas out there. And the idea that we can't, uh, you know, as a nation that our system is in so in some ways so broken and because ironically right because the system is so antiquated 
right? And 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 it doesn't function well in today's environment. And because it doesn't function in today's environment, we can't use the tools that are in it mm-hmm. to change it. You know. Well, too much of the Constitution is dependent on the integrity of the people in the government. And as I I say all the time, when we're talking about utilitarianism, um, you have to design a system that operates, even if you have sociopaths in charge, right? Right. And you do that by putting people's interests in the government at odds with each other. So that this guy's watching this guy, this guy's watching another guy, and everybody's watching everybody else, and it's in everybody's interest to keep everybody else honest. You set that up in terms of incentives, and you put teeth in it. You don't let, yep. you know, like if something happened like Mitch McConnell denying Merrick Garland a hearing, mm-hmm. or Trump going around and trying to strong arm the, the Republican legislators in states to get the, if any of that kind of stuff happened, that gross cheating uh, in the government, there would be consequences, automatic consequences. Automatic, right? Not, not, not discretionary. No, like, like you do this and that happens. Boom. Yeah, and so we are missing all of that. We we are we are trying to operate a system that re- relies on good faith, with a bunch of bad faith actors in charge. <laughs> right. That's so true. That's a really great. Uh, that might be one of my uh, one of the quotes we pull um, from from this episode, <laughs> I think, because that's so well, right. We are trying to run a, 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 a system that 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 needs good faith actors, statesmen. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that with people who are just simply out for profit, out for power. Um, and out for theocracy and bad, mm-hmm. like you say, bad faith actors, a bottomless pit of bad faith. I think we should put what, put the bottomless pit of bad faith together with what I said and make one quote out of it. There you go. That's what we're <laughs> going to do. Ladies and gentlemen, look, look, look to uh, your Facebook feeds and Instagram feeds um, next week or this coming week. You'll see it. You will. <laughs> uh, um, so let's talk briefly just like uh, just to talk about before we move on to our main topic, let's just talk about the COVID-19 problem, right? Because it's so yeah. crazy. We can sit here. We are we are in the midst of constitutional crisis mm-hmm. simultaneously with the worst pandemic in 100 years. Like, wow, right? I mean, wow. And I, I you know, I really hate the memes like or the things like, oh, could 2020 be any worse? Oh, oh it's so funny. You know, I'm, I'm just over it like that. Those kind of memes and stuff like that. But trust really, me, though, but really, though, worse. can't. Yeah, it could be f- way fucking worse but still still it's been really fucking bad for mm-hmm. sure um so no covid-19 is as bad as it gets i i live in new jersey in jersey city um we, we had we had our spike here early in march and i uh i i recently got a new phone um and i was and i was downloaded and they uh asked me automatically to download the new jersey like contract contact tracing app or whatever and of course i did mm-hmm. um this from the state and um and so you can just see like the trends in your area or whatever you know and 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 it'll uh, 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 sort of let you know and it's got to be if, doing this yeah exactly it's just like wow it is alarming man like it is bad it is so bad and and we are not at the point where the hospitals are collapsing yet but i mean isn't that isn't that far on? Maybe we need That's, to have Joe Joe on again to, to discuss well, where things are. Here, here's what it really is. I mean, this is what we talked about on both the shows where we discussed COVID before with Joseph. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, people don't understand the exponential function. That yes. means that something can go from one to three to 10 to 30 to 100, right? Mm-hmm. From one day to the next. It's not just like linear growth. Linear, right. 
Okay, so we have that going on, and then we have a delayed reaction from whatever it is that you do. So, for example, they had Sturgis, and somewhere right. between a, a month and a month and a half later, you started to see the spike of cases and deaths because it's not just like somebody can get COVID and be sick in a couple of weeks and then die in a couple of weeks after that, but what happens is they transmit and then they transmit and then mm -hmm. they transmit. So you get this building wave that occurs. And we're experiencing that now from things like Sturgis and the Trump mm -hmm. rallies and all of these super spreader events that have occurred, uh, states that have overturned the, the you know, bans on gathering in church. I mean, yeah, it comes I, right down to it. It's I could go on for the entire hour about this, but this idea that it's something to do with liberty, that you should be able yes. to get together. It's insanity. It's, it's madness. It, we, we, and, and that's because they don't understand the exponential function. They don't understand you put 150 people in a church, you have one person in there who's infected. Now you infect 150. Each of those 150 go out and infects, you know, five or 10 others. And pretty soon you got thousands of people infected from this one church service. And it's yep. like, this is not a question of freedom, folks. This is murder. It, it, and wow, yeah, and it really, really is. And, you know, it's so interesting because we keep coming back so far in the show to this theme of bad thinking. It's mm -hmm. bad thinking. It's an inability to reason. And also, not just an inability to reason, but an unwillingness to even think to take reason seriously, right? As a as a source of knowledge, right? Yeah. This is the, this is a this is a worldview that thinks of of uh, knowledge derives from authority, right? Yeah. And so if and and that's what makes these sort of these governors who refuse to do mask mandates, this is what makes them so, like you said, killers, murderers. They're killers. Right? They're, they're, they're literally murdering people, right? Like because what they're doing is in is and Trump did the same thing. When you're not from the top, the leadership from the top matters. And especially if you have a bunch of people who can't reason on their own, you know? Yeah. And so here we are with this wave of COVID-19 overwhelming, especially in the rural areas, right? And these yeah. are these are places that, first of all, have less money, have less resources, have less health healthcare, right? They don't have a, a good um, the, the the closest major hospital that can really take care of you might be a hundred mile drive. Right. Yeah. Um, this is what we're talking about. And, uh, and and it's just again, like you say, it's fucking murder. And and I don't feel badly for Don Jr. for getting sick. No. I don't get bad feel badly. Not for one fucking moment. Not for one fucking moment. He is a fucking criminal, man. He's a criminal. Well, what these guys have done is obviously there's all the issues we've talked about before in terms of covid of guys not wanting to wear masks because of issues with their masculinity and vulnerability and you know we've talked about all the evolutionary mm -hmm. origins of that but our better angels say do it for your neighbor exactly and what's happened is is that the the trumpists and the trumpist governors like christy Nome and um fucking Ron DeSantis in Florida. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the worst offenders. Worst. I, I really have to also single out the Supreme Court of the state of Wisconsin that overturned yes. the, the, the ban on gatherings there. And there's been any number of those type of situations where Texas is another one where they've, mm -hmm. they've, they haven't done well. And what it comes down to is all someone needs is plausible deniability to flip over from that better angel's place of taking care of your neighbor and of doing this as a patriotic duty to the place where it's like, oh, I'm not fucking wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. All they need is just, you know, somebody at the top to give them an excuse, somebody on Fox News to suggest that this is a hoax. 
uh, and that's it. And you've now just taken a third of the population and put them over into non-compliance with public health measures, and you've created murder, mass murder. Mass murder, mass murder. And, uh, you know, and from the top, like you say, it comes from the top. And Donald Trump does this because he's a sociopath. And so he really doesn't care about people's dying. And purely for political benefit, that for political benefit, for not even political benefit, personal benefit, right? It's not even political. It's really just him very personally, whether he's winning or not. And he long ago painted himself into this corner of having to not wear a mask and not take it seriously. And so, and now he, of course, he can never, he can never back down from that. And, um, and, and, you know, we're, we're all paying the price of that. I mean, it's great to hear of the vaccines, right? Yeah, I'm excited um, about that, but it's going to be six month minimum from mm-hmm. the time they start distributing them to when everybody who needs it can get it. Yeah, so, and and during and that that's time, a long way off. During that time, we could have we've, we're we're at two hundred sixty thousand right now, and we could double by March. We could be at five hundred twenty thousand by March, and even with vaccines starting to be rolled out, it's still a potential that another hundred or two hundred thousand people could die after that. So we really could approach a million casualties by the time this is over. And and what it comes down to also that we can't forget is and it's more of a socioeconomic thing than it is a race thing. But Mm -hmm. but they're tied together because it's the way it is in our country. Sure. Black and brown people are like three times more likely to die of this. And it's not because of any particular risk factor in their bodies. It has to do with the fact that they are more likely to be in service jobs where they're in contact with more people. So. This is a situation where a lot of white, reasonably well-off people are sitting at home and having people bring them things. That's the yep. that's the that's, that's the literally um, what's happening. That's what's happening, and mm-hmm. and we're you know I, I guess I'm in that category. <laughs> you yeah, know? Me, too. I, I, me too. Because I want to I want to live. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm taking precautions, but but what I also realize is that my life and my existence is now dependent on people who aren't so lucky. They have to. They're, they're, they're out there driving around, being in contact with lots of people every day. I mean, think of the people who work in the grocery store so we can eat, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think about this. I think about this all the time. I mean, you know, it's just amazing. It's just so American, frankly, how, 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 how slanted and how, how inequitable the, the burden for this uh, pandemic uh, is is who's carrying that burden, right? right. Um, on on the very top end, of people who have uh, private jets and they're still just living their life, you know, they're just living their life and they just go about their business. And and I can tell you, I won't name the source, but I I know people who are in in you know very in very very high places who are just living their life as if. Nothing was going on. Nothing is going on. And they lit. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have uh, people in within a small two bedroom apartment in New York with a bunch of kids. And they have to now school those kids because those kids are 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 uh, are that supervise those kids at home and somehow find a way to, to work. And and again, like and, and meanwhile, I sit here in my middle class home and have things brought to me. And um, I, I mean, like you say, Sean, I think that what we can do, I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing what you and I shouldn't be doing what we're doing. Or our listeners shouldn't be doing what they're doing. They absolutely should protect your family, protect yourself, but do so with knowledge. Right. And do so with recognition of what's actually happening here and how this is actually working. Right. And who is the what? And I, I'm, I'm going this is like full communist now, but like. <laughs> the blood of the right the 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 blood of people 
is, or and maybe the, the the phlegm of people who are dying of COVID nineteen is greasing the wheels of capitalism right now. That's oh. what's fucking happening. That's what's fucking happening. No question. And the reason why it, I I think it's it's absolutely ethical and acceptable to gloat over Donald Trump or Donald Trump Jr. getting COVID or any of these, frankly, ghouls, ghouls who are ghouls. who are running the country is because they being of the privileged group had an extra responsibility when mm -hmm. when Donald Trump took the oath of office as as president of the United States, he swore to defend and protect Americans from all threats, foreign and domestic. Right. I mean, that's what yep. you swear to do. And so uh, essentially he has violated his oath of office and he's done it in such a way we know that his agenda from Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon on down is a white supremacist agenda. He's mm -hmm. got he's and and he's proving it. These these policies, this policy of inaction, just like kind of let it take its course. Right. Yep. That is that is disproportionately killing black and brown people. It's a form of genocide. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And um, and look, I mean, we could keep talking about that all day because fuck those people, honestly, dude. I mean, and, fuck and them. Fuck them. Fuck them. And 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 the lack of empathy. And it's 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 it's. There is no, there's no excuse for it. There is no excuse for it. And people, and, and even the people who aren't dying, the people who have lost their jobs, who are, who, who have food insecurity, right? The food banks are running out of fucking food. This is the world, this is the world we're living in right now. And it is, it is, it's in, unconscionable in a country like ours, un, in, unconscionable, unconscionable. Criminal. Criminal, you know, yeah. and um, um, with that, Let's yeah. go over to. Speaking of criminals, yeah. let's talk about the fucking Nigerian. This, this, these fucking crooked, 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 crooked. I mean, laughably crooked um, generals. So here we are. Um, so we're gonna go to our friends in Nigeria. Shout out to our friends out in Nigeria. If you're listening, we love you. Thank you so much. Tell your friends, and uh, we're thinking of you. Um, the Nigerian army admitted on Saturday that soldiers were given both live and blank bullets. When they were deployed to protests at the Lekki, I'm probably butchering that Lekki uh, toll gate on October 20th, and the um, and the and the and the, the the Brigadier General Ahmed Taiwo says in his testimony to the Lagos Judicial Panel of Inquiry into the incident, he said that, oh yeah, uh, he just sort of casually says, uh, I'm paraphrasing now, yeah, soldiers were given both live and blank bullets. Uh, we saw uh, some hoodlums, quote unquote, just unnamed hoodlums that were around, and uh, so there were definitely there were definitely peaceful protesters for sure but there were also quote hoodlum uh <laughs> comment on that sean oh geez I, I'm, I'm laughing because this is just so fucking absurd and so and, and i mean okay we've heard this before from mm -hmm. w back when the soviet union used to be the soviet union and they constantly put out this horrible propaganda this is exactly what they said they said there were hooligans whenever they whenever they went into a crowd violently and suppressed a demonstration or arrested people. It was because there were hooligans. And lo and behold, what happens in the United States when there's a protest? There's always thugs or exactly. violent thugs. protesters. And it just, you know, it, it's it's transparent because when you're when you're not accountable and you're not a democratic regime, you have to pretend that everyone opposing you is a violent hooligan. Right? Yeah. And so these guys caught got caught massacring civilians. And so this is their little fallback position. 
Yeah. And, and look, like, like you correctly said, we see this and it's, and this is what's I think terrifying about all of this is we're seeing this all over the world, but this used to be, and I always talk about the nineties, right? That always seemed to be some other country out there. You know, some country where, uh, you know, where everything is going is, is has been going to shit for a long time. But look, first of all, Nigeria, as we've talked about, is a uh, is a country that is that is the most populous country, a relatively wealthy country. Right. Things. And this is happening there. This is some straight up dictatorship. And and now we also see this on American streets, right? Where right. where this idea of like, uh, you know, Antifa and um and thugs and all this kind of stuff. Basically, this idea of like a dark horde out there, right? That is that is evil and it's it's unnamed, it's amorphous, it's faceless, but it's evil. And thank God we have the hard-nosed iron fist of dictatorship to protect us, right? That is sort of the that is the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you it's know? it it's disgusting. And we know that this is the strategy. And the, the, the crazy part about it is, is that you would think that as, as much as these tactics have been used throughout history, that people would see through them, but they still buy it. Like if, you, right. if you're watching Fox News or whatever, they're still pushing this stuff yep. that, that the protests were illegitimate because people got violent. And it's like, exactly. and there's no way for any, like, for example, if you're Black Lives Matter and you want to hold a demonstration and you're, you're expecting tens of thousands of people to come out in the streets, there is absolutely no way you could be as careful as you want. You could even employ a hundred security guards and it's mm-hmm. not going to be enough to stop violence if it kicks off organically. And this is what dictators know and they take advantage of it. And even if it doesn't, they'll send in provocateurs. Literally so, pay people to go. There, and, and, and there may have been some of that going on in Nigeria, by the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And, uh, you know, a, a, an important thing to note here is that the is that the police and the army that is um, uh, previously had denied this. And then CNN apparently did some um, some some digging and some investigative journalists. It's important. Right. The importance of a free press, the importance of a free press. Right. Um, and they went and did some digging and they're like, no, there were spent casings here um, that were not. <laughs> That were not dummies, and then now, of course, the the, the um, you know the, the 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 government's fallback position is oh well yes we had we did give them some bullets yeah so so just acknowledging yeah yeah we were lying before but uh, yeah. now don't worry now we're telling the truth though now yeah. we're telling the truth it just goes to the the authoritarian tendencies um, that that sort of that we see in Nigeria, in the United States, in Armenia, all over the world, in Saudi Arabia, in Russia, right? The same kind of tactics of throwing innocent people under the bus and uh, and uh, to to maintain some sense of order. Or, I mean, China, right? Jesus Christ, China. I mean, wow. Belarus, right? Belarus. Belarus. Philippines, Brazil. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so much of the world now is just uh, it's not even remarkable anymore right. when people are shot down in the street. That's right. That's right. And and and, and again, the, one of the chilling things for those of us who are Americans is that um, we used to live in a world where it could never happen here. Um, and and we're supposed to be uh, we're supposed to be some sort of some sort of beacon, some sort of example. The, the oldest democracy, an example. Right. And, and now we are completely shitting the bed in our responsibility. And frankly, I'm embarrassed as an American. It's horrible. It's mortifying. It's mortifying. I mean, this is not yeah. the America, you know, I'm proud. I'm a patriot. I'm proud to be an American. Um, but this behavior, uh, and despite all of America's flaws, I am proud to be an American. But this kind of behavior is not, we're not modeling, we're not modeling the democracy we're supposed to be modeling to the rest of the world. 
Yeah, and it would be one thing if like this was as bad as it's going to get, but right. when this kind of stuff starts happening, it it is a it is a fast train to hell. And yeah, it's hard to put that back in the bottle. Yeah, and and you start to see okay. We know about what happened in Nigeria because of CNN and because of whatever local investigative reporting is going on. But you see that dictators, the first thing they want to do is shut down the free press. So however bad it is now, imagine all this stuff going on and us not finding out about it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so fucking important. Um, Dead men so, tell no tales. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and yeah, brutal, man. Brutal. Now. Um, I just want to briefly talk about um, just just mention that we were on the Blinded by the Light podcast and we had an amazing time. They are uh, friends of ours, Justice and Baird are great people, a lot of fun. We had a nice time. We talked about uh, our experience getting out of Church Universal and Triumphant and out of more importantly, I think, even broader, the uh, sort of like the, the that kind of thinking, right, rather than mm -hmm. even just the organization, because that can last a lot longer. Sean, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I want to say that I'm, I'm, we're going to be bringing this podcast to you. First mm. of all, it's, first of all, it's going to be posted on, on their website, I believe, and their YouTube and everything else, uh, next week. Mm -hmm. And we will bring it to you the following Monday after Thanksgiving as a, as a bonus episode, because we're not going to be producing another episode next week. Right. Right. So this is, it was, it was a really great, I, I enjoyed being on it. I, I think every, I think our listeners will enjoy it. It is a bit different than our normal political topics. We talked a lot about our own pasts and about things that would really be of value to you if you are someone or know someone who has been in a cult. Definitely, definitely. And yeah, very definitely not our, not how we, uh, our style. Um, uh, but I think we, we had a really nice time talking. And again, it was much more personal, much more intimate. Um, not that we're not personal, intimate here, Sean. I mean, come on. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're personal, intimate, but um, just a, a, a different vibe. And but but an excellent podcast. Please do check that out. And again, we are also going to be carrying that same podcast. But go ahead and subscribe to their podcast and listen to them if that you know if you like the show. And um, I, and I definitely think you will. Definitely think you will. Um, all right. So let's get into our main sort of topic for the day, biology and race. Um, and uh, this is a contentious topic, right? Uh, and I want to frame this discussion first because I think this is something that make, might make people feel uncomfortable, but I think it's important. And um, so, and I'm quoting now, people who identify as black or Hispanic in the United States and elsewhere on average, obtain lower IQ score scores than people who identify as white or Asian. So, Sean, that's that is a that is that is like a I think an uncomfortable topic for liberals to think about. I think um, it's sort of in our DNA to think of ourselves as all essentially equal, um, mm -hmm. and certainly not to talk about biology. Why do you think um, right that people are so afraid to talk about this, especially liberals? Well, okay. So it's not just race, it's also gender. And yes. there's it, what the what the main thing that's going on here is I don't think people have come to terms with the fact that you can have legal equality at the same time as you have uh unequal talents and unequal aptitude and unequal I mean it's just like we we have no problem with the fact that you can line up a group of people and you're going to find clustering toward the middle it's going to be the average, right? If you, if whether it's weight or height 
whatever trade it is, uh, attractiveness, all of those things are on a bell curve. And so it, it's not the, the, I don't think liberals have a problem with a bell curve. I think they have a problem with putting personality traits and intelligence on the bell curve. Nobody mm. worries about bodies. They worry about when you start talking about mental abilities. And so it, it comes down to this. It's, it's also a conflict between essentialism when I say, well, this is how a person is and versus social constructivism, which is where when you have something, whether it's, you know, masculinity or, or blackness or, or whatever cultural identity someone has, if you, you, know, you think of yourself as a Christian, you think of yourself as an atheist, whatever your socially constructed identity is, in a lot of people's minds, the social construction dominates, especially liberals think that. Mm -hmm. And whereas uh, I think I think conservatives might be more uh, more inclined toward essentialism, but it's not that simple. It doesn't just break down between liberals and conservatives. There's a there's like a horseshoe thing that happens with with this whole idea of of relativism and postmodernism, and you see, you know, you'll see on Fox News and on on, on OANN and on <laughs> Newsmax and Breitbart, mm. you'll see this this complete just abandonment of facts and. It's not a coincidence that the that, that liberal postmodernists, extreme left, will also question the validity or even the existence of facts. Right? There are no facts, only interpretations. That's a that's a Nietzsche quote, I believe. Mm. And uh, I'm not a scholar of postmodernism, by the way. And I, you know, I'm sure that if there are any watching this right now, you'll, uh, you know, I'm going to mangle something. But my <laughs> point here is just looking at the results. Okay. I mean, I, 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 I judge by the results, and it seems to me that, you know, this this making of common cause uh, of the postmodern left with the sort of fact-free right. And and this is actually a thing with conspirituality, right? This is this this whole horseshoe thing exists uh and it's doing damage. So um yeah, we've got postmodernists making common cause with fascists. And I, I want to talk about a little bit about what Simon Blackburn has called the recoil argument. And that is there's a statement by the postmodern left, academic postmodern left, that facts are completely culturally dependent. And they, they a lot of times attack the sciences in this way. And Simon Blackburn says, well, if you're going to make a statement that there are no facts, that is itself an absolute statement. So relativism becomes self-refuting, right? Because hmm. why should I believe the relativists and the postmodernists that there are no facts. I mean, that's right. an absolute statement in and of itself. They're claiming that's a fact. So it's a bit of a, of a, of a self-refuting philosophy. And it also, I want one more point about this. Yeah, that go is for it, man. That, that Hannah Arendt, I mean, I, I quote this constantly, probably quoted it, you know, five times in this show, but in the origins of totalitarianism, she said, the ideal subject of totalitarian rule is not the convinced Nazi or the convinced communist, but people for whom the distinction between fact and fiction and the distinction between true and false no longer exist. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and that's why I think the left can't deal with this subject. I think that there, there is some sort of a, of a fear on the part of the left that it's going to lead to, I don't know, if you admit that people have different IQs, that it's going to lead to eugenics. Yeah. 
um, and and other other things. But but it's really they're basing instead of looking at the science and just saying, okay, this exists. Let's let's see let's see what's true. They are looking at the result of what they think the the consequence is going to be of even acknowledging that there are differences in in the mind, just like there are differences in the body and they're distributed on a bell curve. And the, you know, I know we're going to talk about this later. I don't want to jump the gun, but that's what the book that was written by Charles Murray is actually called the bell curve. Right. So I think that this is a reality. Traits, genetic traits are arranged on a bell curve. And that includes things like intelligence and sociability and agreeability and a whole bunch of other psychological traits. So that's kind of, that's kind of my initial take. I, I could, you want me to talk about this James Damore incident? Because that's something where that's an, yeah, kind of go an, for it. Go for okay. it. Yeah. All right. Well, <clears throat> this happened a few years ago and it was, it was at Google. James Damore was a, is a, a, a Wikipedia talks about this as Google's ideological echo chamber. And so this guy wrote an internal memo that effectively said that women were biologically less suited to technology work. And he was eventually fired, leading to a labor complaint, lawsuits, and eventual arbitration. It also set off a massive internet firestorm that became part of the larger culture war. Uh, and all the conservatives were lining up behind this interpretation of the science to say that women were less capable because, of course, it feeds into their hierarchy fever dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it, so I think we can this is a matter of record. People can go look it up and I, I, I will put it in the show notes. But I think that that is an example of the kind of thing that, that can be touched off by this and why liberals fear discussing it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And um, and especially right. And we're going to talk about this later on how this has uh, sort of resurfaced. Right. Um, this used to be and we talked about this earlier in the show, too. Uh, this used to be no longer a debate. Um, people that talked about this, like the guy, Charles Murray, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, right. These people were at the fringes and now they're being given um, they're give, being given platforms. Right. Um, I, I think also and I wonder what you think about this, Sean. I, I've been thinking about this. I was thinking about this when I was putting together the outline is that I think, you know, that humans in general, including liberals, uh, less so liberals, I think, but also liberals have. And, and I've encountered this online. Um, interestingly, I, I, you know, I posted a quote from our last show or an idea from our last show, as I do usually during the week. And, uh, you know, and it sort of touched off a little bit of a debate on Facebook and, and, and it wasn't even really a debate. It was a discussion. It wasn't, it was good natured. And, and in fact, um, you know, I think we might've gotten a new listener out of it, but I, but it, it's always remarkable to me. And it would, the, the quote was about, and I don't know exactly what it was, but a quote was about radical secularism, right? And because mm -hmm. our last show is about defining radical secularism and what does that mean and what it does, what it does and doesn't mean. Um, but it's amazing how uncomfortable that concept is to a lot of people, right? I mean, mm -hmm. normally if I post something, I'm going to get X, Y, and Z amount of, amount of engagement, right? But if I post something about secularism, like, 
the gate, the engagement is a lot less. It's not like people don't see it, but they don't want to engage it. It's something that it's a taboo, right? And I think, yeah. I think, and I think that taboo comes from this idea, right? Like that. Uh, I wonder if this taboo is connected to this idea of not wanting to admit that the anim- that the human being is just an animal, right? I think that is another one of these ideas that is super uncomfortable, comfortable for people. Um, and so I think that we may be bumping up against that kind of a taboo as well, right? Because that undermines the yeah. idea of the soul, undermines the idea, frankly, even of free will, right? When we think about like, oh my God, I'm just behaving just like my cat behaves. Like she just has a series of behaviors, right? right. And she and she responds to stimuli. Am I just a series of behaviors responding to stimuli? The answer to that question is yes, by the way, I think. But um, mm-hmm. but I think it makes people very uncomfortable. Well, okay. So it goes back to the way that the planet developed. Uh, other than China, China's in kind of a separate world because they've been developing for 4,000 years. But in terms of in, <laughs> yeah. in, in terms of the West, we developed, Europe developed first. We had the ports, we had the resources, we had technology, we had all of those things. And so th- the world ha- grew up around kind of whiteness. Although right. from yep. what I'm understanding, Europe did ha- was was fairly a lot more diverse than we realize. Hmm, but interesting. Yeah, there were there, there were definitely people moving around from for sure from, for from sure. other places coming to Europe. But but Europe was very was centered around whiteness and the aristocracy and all of those things. And everyone darker was thought to be more animalistic, less intelligent, more prone to crime, less mm-hmm. trustworthy. All of those things because you're when you're on the top of the heap and you're centered around whiteness. Okay, as as Europe was and as the United States has been. Um, you know, this is what this is kind of how this it gets expressed. And so we we saw in in the law, in the three fifths compromise, in all of the the, mm-hmm. the white supremacist law that has existed in the United States, that these were considered lesser beings. And that if another way of saying that is more animalistic. Yep. Less able to feel pain, uh, less emotionally deep, less less intelligent, all of that. So it's th- this is the essence of white supremacy, and it exists in America on tons of levels, both overt and covert. It's reflected in employment statistics, housing statistics, who's granted credit, yes. mortgages, business loans. Even, even there was a segment on, I think it was 2020, mm. and it was they went in and they appraised a house, and there was a, it was a, a, a black woman married to a white man. And this appraisal came out ridiculously low. And so what happened is the woman took all of her pictures and everything out and moved out of the house for a couple of days. And they called another appraiser and the appraisal came in a hundred thousand dollars higher. Holy fuck, dude. Hundred thousand dollars. And this is like a three or four hundred thousand dollar house. So this is like a this is like a 30% increase in the appraisal value, which right. determines what kind of a mortgage they can get, whether they can afford to move, all of these things like that. So this is all a matter of record. Okay. Anybody who wants to try to say racism doesn't exist has to contend with that stuff. So <laughs> right. you know. <laughs> um and so we just have to understand that this is all a very a false premise. It's totally bunk. Uh when when you filter out socioeconomic and other non-biological factors like culture and upbringing and education, there are virtually no differences in aptitude or character that depend solely on skin color. It doesn't exist. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, you know what, Let, let's briefly go back to that history, right? Um, so I want to just sort of go and and look at the reasons why things like scientific racism um, came to being. We talked a little bit about that already. But so, you know, it, ironically, it grew out of in uh, sort of enlightenment egalitarianism, right? And that sounds sort of uh, kind of contradictory, but I, I've been reading a little bit about this and I find it absolutely fascinating. So in his book, Racism, a short story, Stanford University historian George M. Fredri Fredrickson notes, and I quote, if society is premised on an assumption of, of inequality, producing an unquestioned hierarchy, then there is no need to locate the cause of the underling's position in some specific characteristic on their part that makes them less worthy than others. However, as societies have become increasingly committed to the belief in freedom and equality, as once, as once revolutionary ideas about equal rights for all have become more widespread, especially in the West, then those groups are, that are systematically denied the entitlements are claimed to possess what Fredrickson, Fredericks, uh, Fredrickson calls some extraordinary deficiency that makes them less than fully human. That is, racism arose as a result of the contradiction between egalitarian principles coupled with the exclusionary treatment of specific ethnic groups. So what, so, and at the beginning of around the 18th century as enlightenment rationalism replaced faith and superstition as a source of authority, the pronouncements of science became the preferred sort of method of, of, of reconciling the difference between principle and practice. So basically what, we're, what, we're, what, we're, what he's saying here, and I thought it was absolutely fascinating is that when, as we talk about on the show all the time, that uh, historically mm. most of human history we have lived in with with gross inequality, with a small number of people hoarding resources and just and 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 just dominating based on power, and people in lower in the hierarchy just sort of accepting that this is their lot in life, that they are a an, a woodworker and not a king or whatever. And 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 so it was. You didn't have to come up with reasons why people deserved to be worse off than you, right? It was just right. accepted by everybody. But as as we got into the Enlightenment. And people started thinking, oh, well, well, everyone deserves equal rights and we're going to rely mm -hmm. on science and we're going to rely on all these things. Then then suddenly you had to have a find a specific reason why people who were who had way less and had no power and had no rights and didn't enjoy the fruits of democracy. Right. You had to yeah. then justify that by saying, oh, they're actually literally scientifically inferior. Well, this is this is fascinating, and I think a lot of it has to do with you know how how wide is this gap between between the the, the rich and the poor, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and it has been much wider. I mean, one thing that one thing that the modern capitalism has done is that it has narrowed somewhat the gap between mm -hmm. be, you know within the middle middle class and poor, but then you still have these people who are way up here, right? right. And so. Right. But 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 getting back to this, if you're if you're living in a mostly labor slash merchant uh, culture, right? There's not that much of a difference between the guy who owns the company and the laborer. I mean, there's a little difference, but but it's not like the king versus the laborer, right? So if you had the 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 carpenter or the 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 plumber or the butcher doesn't feel like they are less than human. Right. right. You know, they're, they're getting paid something. They have some respect. They're valued as an employee. There's, there's some, you know, security that goes along with that. 
But when you're talking about people who aren't paid at all and who are mm. just being used to do things like pick cotton mm. or or they become you know sexual slaves or they they are just degraded in a hundred ways by being separated from their families or being sold off or being whipped or, or or all the different horrible things that happened now you've got to come up with a justification why that's okay and exactly if you remember in django unchained how much they were into this phrenology bullshit. yes yes and that was a pseudoscience but it served its purpose, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's exactly the whole thing, right? When you are, and, and I, I just found that to be absolutely fascinating. It's it's counterintuitive, but racism grows out of some people deciding that they're gonna, that, that we should be equal, right? So so it's like, right, it, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable, but that is sort of how it goes. And, and I think you explained it really well when everybody, you know, and, and this is interesting because this is something that capitalists real like uh, modern capitalists don't seem to understand right like you can keep people happy if you just give them enough what they mm -hmm. need and some semblance of respect right people just want to be able to uh, uh sort of raise their kids right raise their kids um and have some level of job security uh mm -hmm. and retire and if you give people that like they'll just be perfectly happy, perfectly happy to let you be rich and let you be a like 10 times, 20 times, a hundred times richer than them. You know, mm -hmm. and that's why I thought it was really interesting when you brought up the difference between let's say the baker and the shoemaker, right? Like who cares? Who cares? Right. <laughs> We're all basically making the same amount of money, uh, right. more or less. And like, mm -hmm. maybe you have a little bit more, but that's okay. As long as we all have some semblance of dignity and respect. Um, and, and it's something that, that powerful people can like over the ages, have continued to misunderstand, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and the same thing with, with Southern planters, uh, I've been reading, as I would say pretty much every week, I've been reading Du Bois because I'll be reading it probably for the next like year. Um, so I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, as I, so I'll keep sharing my insights as they come up over the course of the next year. Um, but what do you, but he, you know, but right, it, it really, he talks a lot about the, the sort of the psychology kind of, of, he's not a psychologist, but he talked about the psychology of the, of the, of the planter class of the South, right? And they couldn't conceptualize the idea that, 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 that black people could want more than what they have like like that you did that because they were so committed to what we're talking about right now right that that they are that we that black people were not fully human since they were com so committed to that idea and it was so fundamental they couldn't even conceptualize the idea that black people wanting anything different and that came at the end of the, the, the to to uh, to bite them in the ass in the end right it really yeah. did because they they weren't actually playing with they weren't sort of basing their decisions and their life on what on reality and powerful people don't understand the how much people want dignity and how people mm -hmm. like they would need it not want need it and will do anything for it anything for it right um mm -hmm. so here we are well this is really interesting and i want to go back a little bit yeah uh, to sort of talk about how this has led to trumpism because mm. in in our country we need to do a whole hour on inequality but this is the sure. this is like the three minute version the three minute <laughs> version is that when uh when the tax rates got lowered it created a situation where now all of a sudden people who were could potentially make millions of dollars a year could actually keep that money because prior to 1980 tax rates were about 70 percent 
the top tax rates on on individuals at corporate taxes were in the range of 39 something it's they were they were higher than they are today by probably double oh yeah and, easily yeah and 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 even before that going back into into the 60s i believe there was a top tax rate of 91% that's wild and what that did is that sort of it sort of acted as a salary cap because and and it was on income over about what would be today 3 million dollars a year so if you're working for a company and you're a ceo and you want them to pay you $10 million a year, there's really no reason to do it under that old system because uh, the bulk of it, you know, if you were making $3 million, you're fine. You get to keep most of that money, maybe, you know, whatever, whatever the tax rate is. But anything above that, most of it's going to the government. So it doesn't mm -hmm. make sense for your company to pay you that much. And so what that does is it, it, it reduces the amount of massive compensation packages that are floating around. And so... It keeps the CEO closer to the the skilled professional. So mm -hmm. maybe there's a thirty times multiple of the lowest paid worker that the CEO is getting, whereas now it's routinely two hundred, three hundred, mm -hmm. five hundred times where the executive is making. And when you add stock options, it could be thousands oh, of times. Yeah, thousands of times. Yeah. So so what you have is a situation where that money could all be going to be distributed among the rank and file. And there was a time in the U.S. when you could, with a high school education, support a family, and yeah. that doesn't that doesn't exist anymore. We don't, and some of that's globalism, but th these things worked together to decimate the working class and to take away their dignity, essentially. And so now you've got a situation where the white working class is finding themselves perilously close to the plight that black people have been dealing with all along, right? So true. So, so th true. this is the this is the impetus for Trumpism because ostensibly it was about uh, trade and about not wanting to compete with people in China or India at who are working at lower wages. And yes, those that did put pressure on wages on global wages, Mexico even, right? So you had that th all this business about the border wall and about tariffs and all that was an attempt to protect the position of the working class in. The United States, but their real enemy is not China, not India, not Mexico. It's the one percent, the point one percent, who are making tens and hundreds of millions of dollars a year and not giving any of that back either to the government, which could help the middle class through social services, or to the workers themselves. It's just take, 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 and that is how we got Trumpism because these people are saying understandably we're fucking fed up we don't like the fact that that we we have, are losing our dignity and by the way your your democrats want to give black people and mexicans preferences and mm -hmm. and what about us yeah. so yeah. that's how we got where we are and what ended up happening instead is everybody's getting screwed now yeah yeah. And that, 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 that was really, that was really, really well said. And I'll add on to that, you know, again, going back to Du Bois is, you know, he talks about how the, uh, the, 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 the greatest problem for the freed freedmen, the freed black person, but also the, the poor white is that the poor white doesn't identify with the, with the freed black. He identifies with the planter. 
right? Mm. He thinks that one day he'll be a capitalist, that he'll be a planter, right? And God, he, the last thing he wants is a handout from the government that might make him uh, be like one of those blacks, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is a huge factor at play here. And um, and 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 of course, and of course, the 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 and the the megaphone that blasts this message is is organizations like Fox News, um, or at least their opinion section. Um, and of course, right right wing radio has been doing this for thirty years. Um, and uh, and now, of course, the internet and most and most most nefariously Facebook. Which uh, which just basically just allows this sort of because they make millions and billions, literally billions of dollars off of this industry. Um, they they profit off of fake news right. and this whole narrative, and so um, and it and it, it, it all comes together in this disgusting, toxic brew that mm-hmm. that 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 gives us Trumpism, just like you say, man. Yeah, and as we talked about in our libertarianism segment, uh, it's also a matter of political power because mm. these billionaires yes, so have important. been able to concentrate so much money that they are have just bought the political system. And so, yep. it, you know, and when when the when the middle class Trumper hears that Joe Biden wants to raise taxes or Barack Obama wants to raise taxes or whatever, they actually think they hear that they're going to raise taxes on them, on That's the working class. That's, That's what they, what they hear. hear. And yep. no matter how many times Joe Biden says, no, I'm only going to raise taxes on people making over 400,000 a year, they still hear, I'm going to raise your taxes. That's what they hear. That's and they hear. it's insane because these guys could be getting health benefits and all kinds of other things that would make their lives much easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want for them. Yes, that's the irony of it, right? Like, and also, right? They could be getting, right? Uh, like, uh, like, and and perhaps even even more useful because they'd be open to it. I think in a different way is having union help, right? Or having collective bargaining rights, right? So that you are not just pushed around by your employer. That you mm-hmm. have some sort of leverage, right? So you can demand a fair wage. You can demand good a pension or or right. or a system for for retirement. You can take care of your children. Even even as a laborer, right? You don't have to be one of those elite, um, whatever. You can be a uh, right. You can be a uh, a, a metal worker, a skilled laborer, right? And making mm-hmm. really good living. And in by the way, you should be able to do that and be. Uh, be a waiter for your entire career and be able to find affordable health care, right? And be able to be ensured that you can live some life of dignity not right. no one say everyone should be equal or or everyone should be rich it's just a life of dignity where you don't have to like you know you don't have to go to a food bank and you don't have yeah. to and you right and and you don't have to uh, you can just live a life of, of decency and raise your kids and die a happy old man like that's or yeah. woman that is all anybody ever wants and again just like the tax lie what they also hear is that well you want you want to have burger flippers driving mercedes i mean oh, fuck you God. you know <laughs> just like it, again straw men we talked about yeah. earlier the worst kind of arguments are straw men fallacy arguments and fucking bad slippery slope arguments there are good sometimes slippery slope really is a slippery slope but usually it's mm-hmm. not it, and so um and let's look let's uh let's let's let's, let's introduce Charles, the audience here to Charles Murray, um, because mm-hmm. this is sort of like we're really going to get into the get into the into the nitty gritty here. Um, so Charles Murray is really the face of modern biological racism that we've just discussed. Um, and it's it's telling that he is on the Southern Poverty, Poverty Law Center um, uh, uh, website because you don't end up there if you're a decent guy. 
right? You like that's not, and, and and they've described him this way. Charles Murray, a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, has become one of the most influential social sciences in America, using racist pseudoscience and misleading statistics to argue that the social inequality that social inequality is caused by the genetic inferiority of Black and Latino communities, women, and the poor. According to, Mer- to Murray, disadvantaged groups are disadvantaged because, on average, they cannot compete with white men who are intellectually, psychologically, and morally superior. Murray advocates the total elimination of the welfare state, affirmative action, and the Department of Education, arguing that public policy cannot overcome the innate deficiencies that cause in unequal social and educational outcomes. And look, the Southern Poverty Law Center has a, has a position and a slant, and I get that, but we are going to talk about um, as we move forward uh, exactly how Murray that that Murray really that he really is peddling racist pseudoscience like right like well <laughs> you know what I mean? he really really is that's not a joke Sean what, was, do you, what do you have to say that was that was fucking horrible I mean when I first of all when I when I hear American Enterprise Institute I mean this Ugh. is the premier libertarian think tank and yep. we have for our listeners you you guys all know that you know. This is all about hierarchy. And if you're a conservative, you want hierarchy. And this is, he is just chapter and verse right down the line. And he's using it to also create a fake racial hierarchy that, that really doesn't exist. So, I mean, God, you know, like there was that whole uh, podcast that Sam Harris did with Charles Murray. And I I didn't listen to, I just couldn't, I'm I'm sorry. What I did listen to, I didn't listen to it either. Full disclosure. I didn't listen to it. I've, I've been studying it because for, for this podcast, but I couldn't do two and a half hours of, of Sam Harris sucking his dick. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't fucking do it. And look, we love to hate Sam Harris on this podcast. (laughs) Sam Harris has been a huge influence in my life. And some of his early books, we've talked about this. I'm not going to beat the dead horse here. He's had some amazing early books. You should mm-hmm. probably read them. Um, but he has gone off the fucking rails. He has gone off the fucking rails. Yeah. And and he is really on board with this hypothesis as much as he wants to say, because, you know, they tell you if you're if you're a filmmaker or if you have a, a if you have a, a podcast or whatever it is, when you put someone on your podcast who's saying something, you're saying it. Yes. It's not like you cannot hide behind, oh, that was my guest and we have all points of view here. I mean, it's nonsense. Okay. If you have somebody. That's like Trump saying, if I retweet something, you know, you retweet (laughs) the white supremacy. He's like, oh, but no, 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 no. I'm just retweeting. That has, that's not coming from me. It reminds me of that, you know? (laughs) Exactly. And you're, you're, so you're amplifying it. And, and Mm -hmm. he knew, he knew damn well that uh, Charles Murray had a reputation for for racism, and he actually had him on the podcast because of that reputation. Because yes. he was he was mad that that Charles Murray had gotten deplatformed, and so he's like, "I'm going to give you a platform." It's like, dude, you give a racist a platform, a Nazi a platform that makes you a fucking racist and a fucking Nazi. Yeah, man. I mean, and, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, keep going. Oh well, so I did listen to. Sam Harris interview with Robert Plowman, which mm. which was great because and and both of these I had read about the interviews and so I, I I Robert Plowman is better than Charles Murray by quite a bit. He's more of an honest race scientist, right. and so he he really actually it was great because right off the bat in the first twenty minutes of the episode he debunks this idea of group IQ differences, which is what the whole Charles Murray thing is. Right, and so this is a quote from Robert Plowman. He says. 
The most important point to realize is that there's no necessary connection between the causes of average differences between groups and individual differences. Individual differences in a trait like intelligence could be very highly heritable. That doesn't necessarily imply that an average difference between ethnic groups is also heritable. So mm. poof, poof, the entire argument falls the fuck apart. Totally. So he says there's three reasons why I've stayed away from group differences. Number one, there's much more variance within groups than between groups. Male female difference accounts for 1% of the variance between say verbal or math skills. That means if you know whether a child is a boy or girl, you still don't know anything about their verbal or math ability. That's very important because mm -hmm. that basically just tosses the whole James Damore memo exactly out, out the, the window. fucking window <clears throat> where it's where it fucking belongs. Yeah. And he, number two, we don't have any killer methodologies to answer the question of genetic and environmental causes of average difference between groups. In contrast, we have very powerful methods of understanding differences within groups. Number three, you don't have to study everything. Toward the end of your interview with Charles Murray, now he's talking to Sam Harris. Right. Toward the end of your interview with Charles Murray, you asked him why he persisted so much in studying the average difference between groups. I thought his answer was very unsatisfactory. There's lots of important things we could study, like why are some people schizophrenic and others not? And most of the variance that we're trying to explain with genetics is within groups. So why focus on the politically explosive issue of average differences between groups when we don't have powerful techniques to definitively answer the question of the etiology of those differences? And that's why I think there's so much heat and so little light there. Oh, I love that. What a debunking. I fucking love it. Just killed it. Just killed, killed it. it. Killed okay. it. <laughs> And, and so Sam Harris kind of goes, he kind of goes, yeah, yeah, well, I think we have to be careful and blah, blah. And he goes off into this little, like, like he realizes that he's just, his whole thing with Charles Murray has been just been completely debunked. Yep. And so he goes off whining for like five minutes about how he hasn't recovered from even having had this conversation with Charles Murray. And it's like, oh, well, God, no shit, Sam. Yeah. Because and and th and this is after he already got his ass handed to him by by Ezra Klein and th there's a whole you got everyone should go we'll, we'll, we'll put the the article in the show notes but the there, in that article there's a maze a bunch of amazing links out to the 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 sort of discussion that Ezra Klein and and Sam Harris engaged in via email and it and it ends at the same place that you are describing Sam Harris now right like with him whining about um uh, the sort of about grievance because at the end of the day Sam Harris is a warrior against convention right and so mm -hmm. he that is really what his and 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 when he's focusing that at religion that's great, right? When mm -hmm. he's talking, when he's focusing that on rationality, that's great. But when he focuses, when he like he's tried to make the shift in in general, and also by the way, he has some valid critiques about the postmodernist left, right? He valid does. critiques, valid critiques. Like you and I agree with those some of those critiques, right? Um, well, we talked about it earlier earlier in the show, and I was some of the things I was saying again, probably not as coherent as. Sam Harris's critiques because he he right. studies this stuff. I exactly. didn't, but but we know <laughs> we know the the outlines of the argument, and we know that what is really going on with the right wing in most cases is that effectively their argument is oftentimes if someone has tried to suppress something that makes it true, right? 
<laughs> that's so great. But it's so true. It's so true, right? It, it must be true or it must be relevant. And by the way, it must be part of the conversation, right? Like that is yeah. what they believe, right? That is what they believe. And and I think Sam Harris, frankly, between you and me and everyone who's listening to this podcast and hopefully Sam Harris, um, I think, Sam, that you have, I'm now talking right to you, Sam. Sam, listen, sit down. You're a good guy. You're smart. And we respect your old work. But what's happened is you have tried to remain relevant by focusing your ire against taboo onto the left, because that is the last you've already done it to the right. You've already done it to religion. So now you're turning it to another area. But the problem is, Sam, the problem is, Sam, that in trying to stay relevant, you are inviting hacks and giving them a platform. And you're embarrassing yourself. That's mm -hmm. the thing, right? You're embarrassing yourself because people like me and Sean, Sam, we used to respect you, but you're losing us. You're losing us. And that's unforgivable. It is. You're inviting racists and Nazis and, you know, these essentially, um, I mean, Charles Murray, there may be some good social science in his book, but what's wrong with him is the conclusions that yes. he wants to slash and burn social safety nets. Exactly. And let's, let, so I'm going to walk through the premises of his argument because someone wrote this out. This is not me. He didn't come up with this. I thought it was really, really interesting, but here are the premises of Murray's argument and why, and we'll, we'll get into why they're, why they're flawed generally. Um, intelligence as measured by IQ, this is a true statement, right? Intelligence, relatively true. Intelligence as measured by IQ tests is a meaningful construct that describes differences in cognitive ability among humans. True. True. Individual differences in intelligence are heritable. To some extent, yes, definitely true. Racial groups differ in their mean scores on IQ tests. Also true. Of course, that those are socially constructed groups, but nevertheless, we should thus, and here is where things get start to get crazy. We should thus assume that the reasons for racial differences in IQ scores are themselves inherently genetic. That's a problem. And therefore, and this is the real problem we have with it. And therefore, Murray concludes, social programs designed to shrink the achievement gap between white people and people of color are a waste of time and resources. So for as far as Murray is concerned, inequality of outcomes is inevitable and in some sense desirable. Right. Well, because he's OK with the hierarchy. He's not he's he's not an equalist, you know, That's right. right. And <laughs> He said not. And, and of course, he's an academic who's white, who's on top of the heap. So why would he be right? Exactly. And, he, and he works for the American Enterprise Institute. He, he literally gets paid to promote inequality. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, um, and look, I mean, it's, it's we, we hammer on this all the time. And I know we probably sound like a broken record, but, you know, we have to remember this this is actually interesting this is relevant to the discussion we started we, we started way in the beginning of the show about uh how we deal with republicans going forward and how like the kind of leadership we need that's capable of dealing with republicans on their own terms um uh, in the knife fight in the fucking phone booth right so we ha we have to stop thinking that that the gop is has the same goals that we have 
right? Mm-hmm. We as liberals tend to think like, well, yes, of course, naturally, everybody wants everyone in society to prosper, right? Of course, we're Americans, right? We all mm-hmm. want to do better. And frankly, we're citizens of the of the planet. We all want, but that is a that is a premise that does not apply to conservatism, right? It literally doesn't. Like we always you remember that like there's always a better fish. There's like a it's like yes. a little internet. Yeah, like oh, yeah. always a bigger fish. And like you should look that up. Google. Uh, or YouTube, there's always a bigger fish because that guy breaks it down so well. The bottom line and the and the gist of the whole thing is that they don't want to be equal. They don't want they. It's all about it's all about the hierarchy. It's all about being able to dominate those below you and be supplicant to those above you. Yeah, well, when they th- this is the famous conservative slogan of all time: "A rising tide lifts all boats." It's like mm-hmm. well. Some of them are yachts and some of them are people <laughs> clinging to driftwood. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Big difference. Big difference. Big, big difference. So, in an episode that runs nearly two and a half hours, Harris, who is best known as the author of End of Faith, presents Murray as a victim of a politically correct moral panic. And this, again, this gets to Harris's whole fucking thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like he is obsessed with this idea, obsessed with this idea. And he goes as far as to say that Murray has no intellectually honest academic critics. I mean, <laughs> wow, wow. Murray's work on the bell curve, Harris insists, merely summarizes the consensus of experts of on the subject of intelligence. The consensus, he says, is that IQ exists, that the extraordinarily important uh, that it is extraordinarily important to life outcomes of all sorts. That this is largely heritable, and that we don't have any interventions that can improve that it, improve the part that is not heritable. Wow! Wow! So we can't do anything. We just like leave people to their own devices, right? It's like, oh, how convenient! We can cut all the budgets and keep the money. Exactly. Right. Right. Oh, that, that this is definitely not a disingenuous, but a, a disingenuous conclusion that we've already reached. And we are now trying to manufacture retroactively a logical, <laughs> a, a logical step, uh, uh, stepping stones to it. It couldn't possibly be that. I mean, it's astonishing. Right. You know, this guy's got an agenda. The, the, the quote mm-hmm. scholars that he that, that people that he quotes are literal neo-Nazis. Right. They're yeah. literal neo-Nazis. Like, I'm not even making that up. Right. Like, these are people who are who are who are white nationalists, maybe not neo-nazis but white nationalists explicitly so and these are people he quotes as quote scholars unreal well it's it's very similar actually applying uh the bell curve the the well-known well understood concept of the bell curve of different traits to social science is no different than phrenology it's modern it's the Mm -hmm. modern equivalent of phrenology of justifying why these people are subhuman and why we don't need to help them Yep. Yep. It goes right back to what we were talking about at the top of this section, right? That that we need there needs to be a justification for inequality in a, in 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 a culture that claims to value equality, right? We yep. we we as a we as in the West, that's what we claim to value, right? And but conservatism, certainly modern conservatism, but I think conservatism like like fundamentally, right? We talk about the um uh the conservative mind, one of my favorite books, right? And he mm-hmm. does such a great job of describing conservatism as, as just reactionary. It is by definition reactionary and it is reaction to and it is reactionary to progress. And so um, as society gets increasingly more equal, that is literally the last thing the conservative wants. Well, right. And I think this idea that that Charles Murray is is talking about, that that IQ differences fully explain differences mm-hmm. in life outcomes, it, it might 
be the most dangerous idea of the past century because it deflects from any need for structural reforms to get rid of what we've discussed before as engineered poverty, because that's exactly what is going on here. And so if you can make it their fault, this brings in the whole just world fallacy. Yes. And and it's just a giant rationalization for victim blaming. It goes by the euphemism meritocracy. Oh, what a joke. It's one of conservatism's favorite terms because it it favors the already powerful. Like we said, you know, if you make a lot of money, if you are, you know, a scholar like Charles Murray, who works Mm -hmm. for the American Enterprise Institute, or if you're Peter Thiel (laughs) or Mm -hmm. anybody, Jeff Bezos, you know, you want to believe that you earned that. Yep. And so you couldn't invent a more perfect meme to oppose equality, to oppose the reform of capitalism than this just world fallacy. And, you know, from a, from a, a utilitarian perspective, however, it, it's, it's got a real problem because, you know, the cure for cancer or the solution for climate change could be languishing in the brain of someone who's doing the modern equivalent of picking cotton. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if you if you think if you believe that we sh- that that uh, we shouldn't help the poor, then you are essentially saying they have no value. They can't help society, and they're worse. And and liberals also kind of get this wrong because liberals sort of they they want to help the poor out of a sense of obligation or maybe. Uh, just guilt in general, or mm. because they don't want to have to step over homeless people on the street when they're mm. walking to work, uh, you know. But but this is the wrong way to think about it. We should be supporting equality out of it enlightened self interest. We should yes. make sure that everyone gets an education because we need cancer cured. We need the climate fixed. We need the next greatest breakthroughs in electric aircraft and space travel and nuclear fusion and artificial intelligence and. You know, the world has a, a just a metric fuck ton of problems to solve, and we need to put all our human resources on the task. And as the United Negro College Fund commercials used to say when I was a kid, I remember this, mm. a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Yeah. They yeah. were on point about this decades ago. They understood exactly what we're dealing with right now. And th- this is a quote from Stephen Jay Gould, and then I'm, I'm finished with this part. Mm-hmm, <laughs> but mm-hmm. this is important. He says, I am somehow less interested in the weight and convolutions of Einstein's brain than in the near certainty that people of equal talent have lived and died in cotton fields and sweatshops. Boom. Boom. Like that, that's, that's so, so on point. And, you know, it's, it's funny what I'm, what I'm reminded of is, you know, how, the kings of of and and emperors and the imperial dynasties uh, they are always like fraught with diseases and genetic disorders mm-hmm. um mainly because they're all marrying each other yeah. but also because even just within that community they only like there's only so many ultra wealthy people right and so if you're only marrying each other you're going to end up with genetic problems that don't without infusing new um, new uh, sort of uh, sort of genes into the gene pool to sort of that sort of help to, to that bring in new new uh, sort of um, healthy new different diverse sort of a gene pool a genes to the gene pool 
mm-hmm. you end up stagnating, right? And and that is what again I talked earlier in the show about how. But and uh, and this is some, uh, an idea that I've thought about a lot is how powerful people tend to, they always go blind to how they go blind to a lot, but they go blind to how they're uh, you know how they are they they'll be better off right if mm-hmm. they allow that diversity if they do allow uh, people that are not them to have power we will all be better off it takes but it, it requires someone to be willing to to unclench their fists and and to be honest john like right we're human beings mm-hmm. we are born we are we are we tend to want to retain what we have and our power right and fight tenaciously and so like we you know one thing and i'll finish out on this it's like you talked about earlier about the importance of incentives right and creating mm-hmm. a structure and we talk about this a lot on the show to sort of to to, to 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 shepherd human behavior along because given unaccountable power human beings will do do what white people have done um uh as as the kings of the of of of, of civilization and they will do what uh, white planters have done and they will do what kings of of old did which is basically hoard power and uh and suppress dissent well, this is what happened. That the perfect example is Donald Trump. I mean, the entire yes, world of course. has seen this. You know, I'm sure when he was a kid, maybe he was all right. Maybe he, you know, he could have been he could have been okay if he'd grown up with different parents and right. not been given everything. But the fact is, and this is a proven fact: power causes brain damage because mm. if you're scrappy and 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 young and and intelligent, you have to deal with all kinds of problems and solve those problems in order to get to the next level. But if you're somebody who is like Donald Trump, who has a safety net and is constantly just given more money and more money and more money, you fail up. Yes. So he has failed up at every level. And so after he was done failing up multiple times and being at the head of the Trump organization, his only place to go was into the government. And now he's failed at every level of governing. So he's still trying to fail up. His latest coup attempt is yes. an attempt to fail into dictatorship. Yep. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right, man, and that's a, that's a great example. And you know, what was really particularly appalling, right? And I I, I mentioned uh, Ezra Klein earlier, um, but uh, and because Ezra Klein really dismantles him, um, this uh, Harris and Murray and everything, but um, but they don't even describe Harris and Murray. Don't talk about Ezra brings this up. Uh, they don't talk about the legacy of slavery, racism, Jim Crow at all. And the entire conversation, like it is astonishing to talk about differences in outcomes, to have a whole two and a half hour conversation about that and not bring up the legacy of slavery once. That is an astonishing lack of intellectual of intellectual honesty. You know, um, and, and these two people think of themselves as academics or as as, you know, as public intellectuals or whatever the hell they think of themselves as like, how can you with a straight face talk about uh, the outcome for African-Americans in the United States without talking about slavery and racism? You can't. And I've found can't. this same uh, when I've talked to because I've had some deep conversations with some people who believe what Charles Murray has mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. And when I start to talk about how you know, this might have something to do with slavery and there might be like a hundred years, 400 years of, of history that has resulted in a continuing 
disadvantage building up over many generations of not being able to get the education, of not having support, of of being in poverty and all of these mm-hmm. things. And they don't want to hear it. They literally shut down when I talk yep. about any of those things. They they just say, I, I don't I, I, like I can't even remember that they even had a coherent argument. It was just more right. kind of repeating the fact or they'll they'll bring up something disingenuous like, oh, well, look at this place that abolished slavery and look at it now. Look at how horrible it is. Right. Like, you know, some some place in Africa or I think is it Haiti? I don't know. There's mm-hmm, just places mm-hmm. that used to have slavery that don't have it anymore. And now they're, they're now they're shithole countries. And so right. it's like it would have been better had we continued colonialism and oh, kept order. Happened. Right. This mm-hmm. is the this is the mentality. Mm-hmm. Every solution goes toward hierarchy. Let's reestablish the hierarchy. Yes. That's a great, great way to bring it back to the hierarchy, man, because that's exactly what this is. And, you know, we talked about earlier today, you and I, about, about um, you know, the, 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 that when you are impoverished, right? And of course, Black people have been disproportionately impoverished for since for, for, for hundreds of years. Um, um, and you, you are basically living in full time fight, flight, a uh, fight or flight mode. Right, mm-hmm. you are you you're you're you are living with uh, elevated um, hormones and 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 a lot there's just a lot going through your body your in your experience. Right, you talked about earlier earlier that the, like poverty lops off ten points off your IQ score across yeah. the fucking board. Right, so it's like again, and also I like to point out that the black achievement gap is shrinking. Right, the mm-hmm. IQ sh- gap is shrinking. So if is it right? So Charles Murray. And Harris, is it heritable, 100% heritable, or is it not, right? Because if, right, if, if that gap is closing, it obviously isn't inherent. So, wow. I mean, so, and again, we're not denying here, and we're going to talk about the end of the show, we're going to talk about the importance of recognizing, especially on the left, this the, the real, that science mm-hmm. is real, right? Genetic science is real. Genetic differences among groups is real. Divergence is real. But nevertheless, you know, to, to, to jump to the conclusion that 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 people that are of a certain color or 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 or, or gender or 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 ethnicity are inherently worse at living, which is literally what he's claiming at living at outcomes. Right. That, that yeah. is an astonishing claim. And, 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 it, and it is. Um, and again, it overlooks the reality of of centuries and centuries and centuries of racism. And and by the way, a patriarchy, by the way. Well, you mentioned this royal inbreeding, and I wanted to kind of, uh, I wanted to kind of take the opposite of that because what's sure. the op- if you if you have people who are, you know, closely related cousins, whatever, marrying, you get all this this, this inbreeding which produces inferior genetics. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is breeding people who are very different. So right. if, if you bring in people from all over the world, you get a diversity that just doesn't exist otherwise, and so. You know, you add to that the variability of what happens in each genetic com- combination of a different sperm with a different egg. You're literally talking about hundreds of millions of possible uh, com- uh, combinations in each conception. So you're going to have differences within families, and so th- there's so much more to be to be considered when you start talking about about how traits pass from generation to generation and and what creates a, a good a good outcome and they have boxed themselves in into this idea that you know groups are inferior but have they studied what happens generation to generation when you bring together 
uh, people from Africa, people from Europe, people right. from, from Asia, and you put them all together and you have a melting pot. Have they studied that? I don't think so. I'm sure they haven't, Sean, because that is that because, right, as I said earlier, they're trying they've already reached their conclusion that they want to reach. Right. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the conclusion is that rich people should be able to keep all their money and poor people deserve is, is just world fallacy. Right. That is their yep. conclusion. That's the conclusion they've already reached. They are now just trying to find it's like it's, it's like talking to people who who have are saying, no, God is real. And they, they've already established that, like, no, 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 I already believe that. Now I'm just trying to find a logical set of uh, of, of steps for me to justify my yep. uh, pre-existing belief. It is the it is it is the inversion of science. Right. It is. Well, and they, it's a mantra. Multicultural mm -hmm. societies don't work. Multicultural right. societies don't have social cohesion. Multicultural societies are, are have higher crime. Multicultural societies fall apart and to go into degeneration. I mean, it's just it is it is these they repeat these things like mantras and they're not looking at the opposite case and they're not looking at the fact that Europe itself was extremely diverse. Right. You know, at the time that there was a tremendous amount of migration. And so um, America's kind of the, you know, was kind of the exception and, and yet, and yet we have had immigration the entire time. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh man. It's so true. We had these, you know, we had a combination in the beginning. It was like, you know, it was English, German, Irish, and it was a very, very narrow group that came over here initially. But then all of a sudden you had all this immigration mm -hmm. in, in the, in the 20th, 19th and 20th century. And it, you know, we really did become that melting pot. And now we're trying to like somehow turn the clock back to, you know, Anglo-Saxon, whatever. Yeah, right. Uh, it, it's wild. It is absolutely wild. And, and I, I, my revised hierarchy of premises, um, as we close off the, um, and I want to get your thoughts on this, uh, Sean, okay. but uh, before we close off the, uh, the Charles Murray segment is uh so premise one intelligence as measured by iq tests is a meaningful construct that describes differences in cognitive ability among human beings true mm -hmm. that's what we said earlier uh, number two individual differences in intelligence are, are heritable yes we agree three racial groups differ in their mean scores on iq tests true now, here's where we get things got weird before and they're going to get weird again. The evidence does not support the conclusion that genetic differences are the sole or even the primary driver of IQ disparities across racial groups. And number five, even if it were true, and it's not, that IQ disparities among racial groups or ethnic groups or class groups were entirely genetically determined, even if that were true and therefore inevitable, society should still ensure that every person can live a life of dignity. Yeah, well, just expanding a little bit on what we said about poverty shaving 10 points off a person's IQ. Yes. Um, that's just poverty. What about danger? What about if mm. you're in a neighborhood where there's there's you're hearing gunshots all the time? How can you do your homework? Um, yep. If your parents are fighting or if you're not if you have malnutrition, mm. all of these things there there's just physical if, abuse. Physical abuse, right? So so there's all these things that will lead to this self-fulfilling prophecy. And so I think, I think that's right. What you said in number, in number four, the evidence does not support the conclusion that genetic differences are the sole or even the primary driver of IQ disparities. We have to look at sociology. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's in sociology is the Gini coefficient. Mm. The Gini coefficient is the amount of inequality in a society, and it is correlated with all kinds of negative outcomes, including IQ. 
So yeah. we, we could talk about that in our, and again, in our hour episode about inequality, but it, these things are not separate. They're tied together. Exactly. And, and so again, as I, as I mentioned, it, we shouldn't just help the disadvantaged because we feel sorry for them or we think it's the right thing to do. That's the wrong way to look at it. This mm -hmm. is win-win. You help the disadvantaged, you get better people. You have a better society. You have more, uh, more people interested in science, more people interested in making the world a better place. And you also free them up to become active citizens and participate in the democratic process, which is another thing that the wealthy don't want. The last thing they want like the last thing they want people who are working three jobs you're lucky they even vote exactly and so, a lot of times they don't yeah and i'm saying so we, we we it's is not just an abstract principle here the history has proven this is correct i mean if you like using the gps on your phone or in your car's nav system the math that makes that gps work was invented in the 1950s by a black woman named gladys west yep and you know that for a black woman in the 50s to get in a position to get an education uh, and become a mathematician in, in, in prominent enough to invent something that complicated, I mean, the hurdles she must have had to jump I, over. I can't even imagine just astonishing hurdles, man. She must have been an unbelievably special woman, like, I mean, yeah. remarkable human being, you know? Well, and what we saw in the film Hidden Figures was, was also... I mean, black women mm -hmm. helped get us to the moon and especially getting yep. the astronauts back safely, yep. right? That whole scene that happened there was, was, was legendary. And again, that's just one story out of how many thousands and thousands of amazing, dedicated black men and women throughout our history who have invented things that are, have made our lives better. So when we fail to put resources and make them available to all of our citizens, we are shortchanging ourselves of the next set of those kinds of developments. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, this is why corporations now um, are like, and I, and I believe that some, not all of them, but some of them really are care about diverse points of view because they've realized, right, that honestly, you get better results if you have genuine more, if you have more people at the table, right, with different perspectives, different ideas, if like if you just you're going to X out 50 percent of the workforce women because like and just don't take them seriously because, um, you know, because of because you want to be in power. I mean, you are you are just right. I mean, you are just ignoring a talent pool. That is just sitting there waiting to be tapped. Right. I mean, this is like and again, used in and for women and people of color and 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 poor folks um this has been the story of america frankly it's been the story of of western civilization frankly right that um and and then and it's sickening that these conclusions the fact that like oh yeah we don't have a lot of say like women astronauts i'm just pulling that mm -hmm. out of the hat we don't have a lot of it so therefore women are unable to uh achieve what what men are as astronauts like that the premise is there that you have to the conclude the, the sort of premises you have to accept to get to that conclusion are just so obviously fraught for all the reasons why we've ready to, that we've talked about today uh, in this segment. Um, it, it, it and and again, like you say, it's a win-win. Everybody wins when everybody has enough and can can prosper because then we really get the, to, to harness the full intellectual and and thrift and power and um, passion of the entire community, not just a handful of powerful, wealthy, connected, whatever people.
Yeah, and what's happened is over the course of the movement of the Republican Party, further and further and further and further to the right, okay, mm -hmm. we have a situation where it's interesting that you brought up the corporations have are now to the left of the Republican Party. They literally are. They and literally it are. started out where the corporations were buying influence and lobbying and doing all of those things. And now it's only a small fraction of corporations like the Cokes and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Adelson and some of these, some of these, uh, the Mercers, yep. it's only a fraction of these people who are right-wing ideologues to the point where they don't get this. Uh, yep. the, the, the bulk of corporate America, whether it's, I don't care if it's Amazon, I don't care if it's Procter and Gamble, I don't care mm -hmm. if it's, if it's, if it's Ford or GM or whatever, these guys are on board. They know the value Definitely. of it diverse workforce and they market to a diverse consumer. Mm -hmm. And so th th this is Trumpism is, is just, I mean, everybody's against it. Everyone. <laughs> yeah. The Everybody only reason why we're even having this conversation is because Republicans are afraid to alienate their base because Trumpism, there's only like 20% or 30% of people that are that hardcore into it, but they have a disproportionate power impact, you know? Well, because of, because of the propaganda system. Absolutely. Absolutely. They just pump these messages in over and over and over again. And by the way, corporate advertising is pumping the opposite message. I mean, you look at mm -hmm. you look at you look at every ad that's on in a big event, whether it's a Super Bowl or whatever. It's diverse. Diverse. It's just it's just done. It's fucking done. It's over. It's over. <laughs> They're holding on to the past, right? And it's fucking over. And the fact that, right, and the fact that we can even have to have these discussions is 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 chilling. But it's also good to know that some of the bigger power brokers, even if they're far more conservative than you and I are, they are on board with some of the fucking basics. Like, mm -hmm. for example, immigration is actually good for the economy, for example, mm -hmm. right? That uh, or and and like we're talking about diversity is good for our business. We should do this. This is good. This is good. Purely yep. selfish for purely selfish reasons. But they're arriving at the same conclusion, you know, Um so I, I want to just close out this discussion. Did you have anything you want to, wanted to add there, Sean? Oh, it was just a, just a brief interjection. Go for it. About, go for it. I don't want to cut you off. Go ahead. About Kaepernick and about ah. about Nike, and you know they had a, what they a had, shift. They they could look at the market and they can see. All right, are we going to cater to these haters? Or are we going to cater to the future? And they it was no brainer for them. No brainer. No brainer. They know. They see the writing on the wall. And the same thing, by the way, with the car industry, car and their and their the car industry. They they they're still make. They're, everyone's trying to find an electric car, right? They're, everyone mm -hmm. is working toward that, like right. Regardless of what the Trump administration does, and maybe they'll, they'll they're happy that they get they get a tax break or that they that their uh, the emission standards are not to be as strict on X Y and Z truck, but. Ultimately, they see the writing on the wall, right? They yeah. know where the country is going. And if you're going to run a business responsibly, you have to predict these things, right? Mm -hmm. You know, simple it, as that. It's truly scary, though, that the that the corporations, the biggest corporations are not even as far right as the people <laughs> running the country. That is terrifying. I laugh because it's so insane. I mean, I, I now look at uh, George W. Bush and Mitt Romney as moderates, Total that is where we are. That yeah. is where we are, dude. That is where we are. That is how far the Republican Party has shifted to the right. They have literal <laughs> neo-Nazis walking in their parades. That is yep. where they are. That's where, that's where the modern GOP is. And saying that we should respect the results of an election is now controversial in the Republican yeah. Party. <laughs> Astonishing. Astonishing and terrifying.
yeah. terrifying for all the reasons that you and I always talk about and worry about on the show and off the, and behind the scenes, right? This is the stuff. This is why we do this show. This is why we do this show. This is what we're trying to combat. These are the ideas we're trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to stop the spread of these ideas and instead spread better ones. And, um, you know, uh, and, and speaking of which circling back to the beginning of our conversation, um, um, you know, it's talking about good ideas and spreading good ideas and combating bad ones. Um, the truth is of the matter is that there really are differences, genetic differences across races. Um, it can be upsetting to liberals, but it's true. Um, but I want to read um, uh, uh, before we, we close off uh, New York Times uh, op-ed and get your response too, Sean, uh, but for a geneticist, his name is Robert, I mean, David Reich. <laughs> um, and uh, so he is a geneticist and, and he, I really loved his op-ed in the New York Times because I really thought that he he respected and and discussed why and validated why liberals are worried right mm -hmm. and don't want to have these discussions but he also had the courage to sort of to say that we need to stake out this ground because if we don't stake out this ground of the realities of genetic differences science is going to leave us behind and what's going to end up happening is that we're going to leave the field unoccupied and open for racists like Charles Charles Murray and others to occupy the field. So um, let me just quickly read this. To get a sense of what modern genetic research had into average biological differences looks like, consider an example from my own work. Beginning around 2003, not my own work, Christoph Defoe, by the way, <laughs> I'm not a geneticist. <laughs> uh, beginning around 2003, I began exploring whether the population mixture that has occurred in the last few hundred years in the Americas could be leveraged to find risk factors for prostate cancer. And that is, uh, uh, and uh, it's a disease that occurs 1.7 times more often in self-identified African-Americans than in self-identified European-Americans. This disparity has not been, has been uh, hasn't been possible to explain based on dietary and environmental differences, suggesting genetic factors might be at play. Um, and I won't read for word for word, every other second, uh, uh, every other word of this quote because it's long. But the the gist of it is that did a lot of research to and uh, to African Americans tracked it tracked the uh, genetic um, genetic differences and genetic uh, the parts of, of their genome back to West Africa and within that area. In um, I'll read this now. Um, in 2006, he found exactly what he was looking for, a location in the genome with about 2.8% more African an ancestry than, on, than, than average. So people, Black African-Americans who are susceptible to getting prostate cancer, more susceptible than most, he was able to track that, um, uh, track that, that place in the, in, in the genome to people who have African ancestry that's more than average. So the conclusion is that, yeah, look, West Africans are more, and it's a simple one, are more prone to prostate cancer. And that mm -hmm. is a genetic difference between that and Europeans, that and African-Americans. And that's a significant thing. And that's good because now we can, we can, we can, we can, um, we can screen these folks earlier and save lives. So this is sort of the, I, I wanted to bring this up just because yeah. this just demonstrates the value of this sort of thing. Absolutely. And, and it's, it kind of goes back to what I was saying in the very beginning, which is that, and this is the same thing with evolutionary psychology, right? People have no trouble. Liberals have no trouble accepting the evolution of our bodies 
and genetic influences on our bodies. But where they start to get really uh, upset is when we start talking about genetic influences on the mind. And so mm. these questions of intelligence and emotional intelligence and uh, you know, like I said, different traits like uh, you know, honesty, conscientiousness. The, the, all, there's there's a whole list of these traits that if you study it uh, genetically, are, uh, are are on a bell curve like every other trait. Yes. And yes. so it doesn't. I think what people are worried about is that this reduces a human being to a number kind of a thing, mm. and that, that that it's complex. And so if you bring up intelligence, they'll go, oh well, intelligence isn't everything. Emotional intelligence is important, and Personability is important, right? And so it's just a way of trying to kind of stop people from being ranked in a hierarchy because liberals are right. really allergic to that. Yeah. And and and, and, so, and also they're, they're allergic to the idea of determinism. They like to think that we can all choose and we can be educated. You know, racism can be the, the idea that racism is taught, you know, is, yes. is that wrong idea. Uh, the blank slate is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Gene Genetics is, is it, it liberals see it as a straitjacket when actually it's just information. Yeah. Right. It, right. It, right. Because liberals tend to think that if we reach certain conclusions about, about differences, uh, genetic differences, et cetera, that that necessarily means that we need to treat people poorly. Right. right. Uh, that we need to or people deserve fewer rights. And 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 they have a good reason to worry about that, because on the right, they really do want that you want to use it for that purpose. Right. But but again, we cannot. And that's why we cannot cede this field to the right, because if we do these ideas, these Charles Murray ideas that and uh, will 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 continue to percolate to the surface. If we don't go in there and say, no, 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 here is the truth about how genetics impacts how we how we are as human beings, right? And and yep. that it is really determinative. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that people deserve fewer rights. It doesn't mean that. Well, part of this is liberals terrible tendency to accept right-wing framing of issues because mm. of liberals constant desire to compromise constant desire to meet halfway and it which is which is you know you can't you, you can't do that when you're dealing with terrorists i mean these are literal terrorists the yeah. the idea of charles murray that somehow there is scientific basis for reducing aid to the poor is that's terrorism i mean that's genocide genocide you, you're going to kill people by yeah. doing this so. And, and, and it reminds me, uh, right, of what we talked about at the top of the show as well, this idea of like, you know, uh, the, the, the GOP and Republicans and led by Trump uh, and, and they are guilty of they're guilty of murder. They're guilty of murder uh, because their their obsession with power has has made them. Uh, un unable to take human lives seriously, and, right. um, and and they're out of touch. And here we are, a raging pandemic, um, a constitutional crisis, and and meanwhile, uh, and and then assholes like Sam Harris are giving racist platforms. This is the this is America that we're living in. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the nine. This is the, the '90s pastel era. This is not. No, no, and and there's it, it. It's across the board because sure, COVID is killing people, but also. Lack of nutrition for poor kids is killing yes. people. Uh, lack of education is going to result in lower lifetime earnings, which is going to result in more stress and possibly divorce and alcoholism mm -hmm. and is ultimately going to kill people. And so you, you have this the, the right wing ideology is is a is a it's a death cult. Yep.
the death cult, the death cult. Um, and uh, we could jump into the death cult conversation. We should at some point because, <laughs> man, uh, the, every religion really is a death cult, right? I mean, like, yeah. uh, but let's not even get into that conversation. Like, <laughs> we could be here for another hour. Uh, look, all right. Um, once again, uh, everybody, um, thanks so much for being here. And I, and you know, I want to remind you to make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. And if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to hit that red subscribe button. And please give us a five star rating on your podcast host and write us a review over at Apple because that will really help us grow in their recommendation recommendations list faster than anything else. Tell your family about the show. Word of mouth really matters. Matters. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. And remember, wherever you are, you can be radically secular. You've been listening to The Radical Secular, a podcast dedicated to the separation of church and state and the pursuit of justice. For full video episodes, please subscribe to our YouTube channel.